You are listening to a podcast providing education on how you can spot, report, and prevent trafficking. Through survivor-informed content, our team of survivors, industry experts, and community leaders are committed to increase survivor identification beyond 1% as the first step to ending child sex trafficking in America by 2030. Join us for real facts, real stories, and real ways you can be on watch with us. My name is Brittany Dunn. I am the COO of Safe House Project, and I'm joined today by my co-host and CEO of Safe House Project, Christy Wells. When Brittany and I founded Safe House Project in 2018, it was because we wanted to make a difference in combating trafficking, and we all have got to do our part to help you understand the national landscape and the importance of aftercare and safe houses for survivors. We are so excited to introduce you to our dear friend and industry leader, Ked Frank uh, of Refuge for Women. Ked, thank you for joining us today. It's great. Great to be with you all. Looking forward to our time together. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about what COVID's been like for you, for your family, and just where y'all are at? Yeah, it's been an interesting year, like like everybody. A year of flexibility and making adjustments and and being stretched. Thankfully, as a family, we've avoided you know, the pandemic, and so it's not been in our home per se, but it has been in our organization. And so, unfortunately, we have had some, some staff members at Refuge that that have gotten it and had to had to deal with that. But yeah, as a family, you know, having the having the kids at home and not going to school has certainly been been interesting throughout the year. And and my wife works full time as well too. She's had her office space in the house. I've had my office space in the house. We're, we're foster parents of a of a three year old, and so foster or, or the daycare that she goes to closed down while we're working. We had a three year old running around the house as as well too and stuff. It's been an interesting year. It's been an interesting year. And then. You know, for my oldest son, it's it a shame because uh, he was in his senior year of baseball, and and so that got canceled. So he didn't get a he didn't get a play his senior year, which which really was you know stunk. But but thankfully he's uh, gone on to play in college, and so we're still getting to watch him play. So it's been uh, it's been an interesting year, but uh, yeah, we're here we're here in Lexington, Kentucky, and and we're just again thankful and uh, got in the midst of a very challenging year, as I know you all can uh, attest to as well. I love that you guys have still been moving and, and growing and stretching, even in a difficult season. For our listeners, what I'll tell you that Ked probably won't is that Refuge for Women, the program that he founded, is truly one of the premier um, safe house programs in the United States. They are, and you guys are in eight states? We've got eight. We've got eight open houses. We, we're in uh, six different states, but seven seven different locations throughout those six states. Yep. I love that. I love that. And so they have focused on emergency homes and um, long-term care and transitional care, which he'll be able to speak to a little bit more um, in a little bit. But Ken, why don't you tell our listeners, what was it that actually moved you to even be part of the anti-trafficking movement? Well, I think uh, like most of us are involved, it's not necessarily something that we would have probably ever envisioned ourselves getting involved in. And I know you guys would feel the same. And and I'm going on 11 years of been involved in this now. I have people tell me that I'm I'm one of the senior senior people. You know, I guess uh, I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. I'm getting great. I didn't have great hair when we started. I don't I don't know what that means. You know, but I know it is it is. But yeah, we're going on 11 years now, which is hard to hard to believe. But you know, like 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 a lot of people, Christine, Brittany, just you know, it got our attention, and, and our paths just happened to to cross with some survivors, and and our my wife and I's hearts just got broken. And, uh, you know, our, at our church here in Lexington, there was a group of women that were going to strip clubs here in Lexington. They were going to five clubs every Wednesday night. And they started coming across women who were wanting to get out. 
no longer wanted to be, you know, involved in the sex trade. And they started just uh, saying they needed a place to go. And, and, you know, series of events started happening, but one of them being my best friend bought a farm and had an old farmhouse on it. And, and I, I, you know, we both were working at a church here in Lexington and I felt led to step out of that church and, and put the energy and effort, you know, getting an organization started where we could actually house and work with the women. And so, you know, I, I look back and I just, you know, I just realized that, you know, again, once once you meet some of the women who have been through some of the most horrific things, you know, and they actually that you, you you put a name with a story and you start realizing these are real people. And, uh, you know, again, only only by the grace of God that, you know, again, just our, our stories are different than what they are, you know, but, you know, again, this could this could happen to anybody. And so, you know, you just you get moved and you want to do something about it. You want to help contribute. and and again, you know, being in six different states now, I, I never envisioned us being outside of Kentucky, to be honest with you. And it just you just realize that we're a part of something that's bigger than any of us. And that God God cares about these women that are in harm's way a whole lot more than we do. And that this is his heart and he hears the cries of their hearts and he's he's listening and allowing us to be a part of, of responding and being a part of the solution, which is a, just an incredible opportunity. And so I feel very privileged to get to do what we get to do and to work with the people we get to work with. And so it's, it's, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a fun, a fun 11 years. That's for sure. Oh my goodness. Yes. No. And you are one of the pioneers of the industry in so many ways. And I know that we have had the privilege of learning so much from you and your team, I think is, but what I really think I love about what you just said is that it started with just that seed being planted for you and your wife. And that it was that, moment, you just took one step. You didn't decide 11 years ago to be in six states. You didn't have to have the entire vision cast out before you. All you had to do is say, I'm going to take that next step and turn what I've learned into action and really move from there. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I was reading this morning in Luke, Luke chapter 10, and it was the story of the Good Samaritan. It's like, you know, I think all of us, we, we've, we've chosen to not just walk around a bleeding person, but we've actually chosen to stop. We've chosen to stop and, and offer assistance, you know, and, and that's, that's what I think it is. And that's why I think, you know, that's why anybody can get involved in this is because all you have to do is just pay attention and stop and say, how can I help? And, uh, you know, sort of the Good Samaritans about him taking the individual somewhere. He didn't necessarily solve all the issues. He just took him somewhere, you know, and I think with us, it's like, what can I do to help? What are my skill sets? And and I think you just paying attention and needs, needs are there. You just got to gotta look for them. Yeah. So as you all have grown and expanded, can you explain a little bit about your mission, where you all are today and yeah. anything else you want yeah. to add? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we really focus on the restoration piece. And so we're not, we're not busting down doors. You know, we're not, you know, we're not the ones that are, that are going into, to, into the dangerous places. We're not the ones who are arresting the, the perpetrators, the, the pimps, the, the criminals. You know, we wait for our phone to ring. We wait for an application to come across to our, our, our emails. And right now, ever since actually our, our applications have been increasing ever since COVID because a lot of places decided to shut down. And, you know, maybe they were in a state where, you know, they weren't allowed to, to be open, you know, operating a group home. We, we made the decision we're going to keep operating. And, and so we kept taking. And so we've been averaging about 30, 30 applicants a month, you know, to of women that are reaching out, asking us, you know, to come into the program. And, and, and so, you know, it started right here in Lexington, Kentucky. And, 
And then, you know, it went, we opened up another home in, in Las Vegas. And then we opened up in Chicago. And then we, we opened up in outside of Dallas, Texas. Then we opened up right there in Ohio. And then, you know, we're opening this year in San Diego. And we're opening up in Houston, Texas. And so both of those homes open up in December, San Diego and Houston. And so, you know, what we do is we, we provide the restoration piece, which is walking alongside survivors for the healing process. And so I, I think there's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding that sometimes we think because somebody's rescued away from a perpetrator or, you know, they, they you know, are, are, you know, rescued out of whatever situation, that all of a sudden that's the end of the story. And now they're free and they're, they're good to go now, you know, and be blessed and go get a job in an apartment and, and, you know, praise God for law enforcement that got you out of there. And the reality is, is that, you know, it is praise God that they were, they were rescued, but really that's the beginning. That's the first step. And, Really, after that, it's it's about there's a lot of complex trauma that they have experienced, and you know what they have been through is some of the most horrific, just grotesque and 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 traumatizing kinds of things. And they de- a lot of them have developed addictions because they can't do what they do sober. And so there's a it's a long road for them to be able to become you know productive citizens of society or to pursue the dreams maybe that they once had. And so what we do is we come alongside them. Give them a safe place at no cost to be able to feel safe, to be able to have a group of people who love them, care about them, have no expectations, and to be able to just come alongside them and 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 help them as they begin the healing journey. Help them as they start thinking about what would life be like if I wasn't being told what I was going to do today or or if I was going to be out selling myself today or or being abused today. What kind of things can I do? Can I can I get my GED? Can I get a job that I actually am proud of? Can I can I start to reconnect with relationships maybe that have been severed for a long, long? I was, I was talking with one of the one of the residents in our homes yesterday, and she was talking about this weekend she's going to get a chance to see and visit with her brother that she hasn't seen in two to three years. She's coming to visit her. Two to three years she's been disconnected from. Her brother, and she's going to visit visit with him for the first time. And that length of time, you're just going the restoration. That that's restoration. That that's healing. And so there's just so many things to work through. And that's what we do. We provide the counseling, provide the safe space, and and we're going to walk alongside you as long as we need to for you to pursue what you need to pursue. So that's what that's what refuge does. That's amazing. And we have been so excited to see you guys grow and to see this program just flourish and. You even in a season where so many organizations were shrinking back or having to go on pause, you guys plowed forward and launched an emergency home. So how has that gone? Yeah, yeah, we have. So, you know, at the end of last year, we purchased a 53-acre farm that we started on here in Kentucky. We decided to, after 10 years to actually purchase the 53-acre farm. And, uh, and then, you know, my friends, they, they moved from 53 acres to a 500 acre farm. And so we ended up using their home to turn, to, to open up an emergency house for the very first one in Kentucky here. And so it's a 16 bed facility and we've been opened up for about 120 days now. So COVID did slow things down and uh, we didn't get opened as early in 2020 as we were hoping to. And then we also, there was just, you know, converting it from a single family dwelling into a a multifamily dwelling with, you know, no small undertaking as well, too. And so, you know, just all the different things that, you know, are just, you know, you got to plow through and you got to get accomplished. But it has it has gone better than expected. It has, you know, we have, you know, at one point, in a matter of 10 days, we had 24, 24 phone calls in 10 days for people from right here in Kentucky 
wanting to get into the emergency house that is specifically designed for trafficked and exploited women. 24 calls in a matter of 10 days. And so the, the need is certainly there. And, uh, and so we, we've been averaging, you know, anywhere from 10 to 13 women at a time that have been in that emergency house. And what that is, is a, it's a 30 to 90 day home. And what it hopefully will do is, you know, for some people, the 30 to 90 days may be exactly what they need to be able to evaluate, you know, what their needs are and, and you know, start some case management with them. For others, they may want to enter into our long-term program, which is a, a two-year program. And so this becomes the first step towards a whole lot longer of walking alongside of them. And so this is the first of what we're envisioning, uh, believe it or not, what we're envisioning to be the first of seven uh, emergency homes that we're planning on opening up in the next in the next uh, five years. And so, so we're working all the bugs out of this first one, and then we'll, we're gonna we're gonna scale it and we're gonna multiply it, and 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 start doing a whole lot more short term as well. That's incredible, and thank you for sharing all that because that has been one of the most exciting parts during COVID that we've seen is just your expansion on that emergency front and how desperately needed that is. And speaking of emergencies, Christy is actually going to step away from our podcast because she has to attend to one. So you and I get to chat for a bit longer. But that you know, awesome. that's yeah, that how these awesome. things go. We say that we're passionate, exactly. not perfect. And yeah, we have to exactly. step into those emergencies sometimes in this line of work. Exactly. Exactly. So Well, and Brittany, I'll say this as well, too. I'll say that, you know, even with getting the emergency house opened up, I mean, Safe House Project played a, an awesome role in even... The, the partnership with that. I mean, again, your your old partnership came at a, a perfect time in 2020 as far as you all giving and being a part of it. And so again, you, you all played a significant piece in, in getting to that point of opening the, the doors and, and starting to bring people in, which was awesome. So I'm very appreciative of you guys. No, I appreciate that because we just, we rely on, you know, the network of safe house providers that we get to walk alongside and be part of. And it's really our honor and privilege to be part of the work and see the impact across the United States that's happening. And that's what we've loved about just what Refuge doing. I know that we've been a little bit a part of the ideas in San Diego and just seeing how all of your work is moving together. It's not that you focus on one location and then say, oh, we'll get to you one day. You say, oh, God's opening a door here and I'm going to walk right through it. And because of that, I think you've seen when you offer your fishes and loaves that God takes just that heart of obedience and multiplies it more than we can ever imagine. Exactly. You're exactly right, Brittany. And I'll say this to say, there's, you know, one of the things that we found is there's a lot of people in different locations who they have a heart to want to open up Mm -hmm. safe locations and they, their heart is moved. A lot of them don't want to reinvent the wheel though. And so it's like, you know, Hey, it seems like what y'all are doing is, is working. Not that you're perfect, but yet it seems like you're expanding. And, and so that's how we've honestly been able to grow that people just go, Hey, could we lock arms? And, and instead of, instead of us trying to start from square one, we join with what you guys are, are doing and learning. We're part of a bigger team and a bigger mission. And, so honestly, it's not because we said, "Hey, let's open in San Diego, let's open in Houston." It's them saying, sure. "Let's partner, let let's uh, let's lock arms and do it together," which is it's really been it's been awesome to do that. Yeah, collaboration is so key in this industry. It is in all industries, but when we're dealing with a capacity issue across the United States, and then the just how networked together traffickers are, and then you combine that with the complex trauma of survivors, and then maybe needing to be outside of a certain area. It is the power of the collective that really brings together a holistic solution. I don't think any of us want to, there's too much work to get to be done. The more we work together, the better off the industry is going to be. 
Exactly. So what is one myth that you would want people to know about trafficking in America? Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, is certainly, I think when you, when you think about, you know, people thinking about people that are involved in sex work, again, that word choice comes up. And again, they're choosing to, to be in a strip club. They're choosing to be a prostitute. They're choosing to be in pornography. But I think there's a lot of people who draw conclusions about workers that it's not, it's not based in fact as much as it's based in perception or maybe based in Hollywood, things that they've seen in the movies. And so I think one of the myths that I would say that I'm constantly talking to people about is that word choice. And how misleading that word can be, because the reality, Brittany, is that every woman that we've ever served since we started 11 years ago, like I said earlier, has been through some of the most horrific things that that anybody would ever imagine going through. And so when somebody started getting abused when they were four, five, six years old and experienced multiple rapes, not 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 a rape, they've experienced multiple rapes when they've attempted suicide two, three, four, five different times because of the horrific things that they've been through. They're, they're experiencing you know, drug addiction and things like that. The idea that they chose to go work and to sell themselves and to you know, be a part of something that maybe we would say is just a, a terrible industry or a, a terrible line of work. When you're in desperation and the word normal, you, you have never experienced maybe what we would say would be normal, a normal upbringing, a normal teenage years, if there's ever any such thing as a normal teenage year, but, you know, you start realizing that, you know, when you're supporting things like pornography, when you're supporting strip clubs or you're, you know, purchasing, you know, sex from prostitutes, that person hates what they're doing. They hate what they're doing. It's not that they're desiring to do this. They hate what they're doing, but yet many times they don't see a way out. They don't see... You know, you know, we've we've served Brittany. We've served women who have been involved in sex work for over forty years. We had somebody recently, one of our homes that was over sixty years old. She's been she had been selling herself for forty years. So the the idea the idea of I'm going to go back and get a GED when they're in their sixties, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something different. Only God only God can can bring the the vision that I can still do something different with my life that you know that again I don't have to be labeled a prostitute going forward even though that's what I've been doing for 40 years you know and so again I think this, this idea of choice this idea of why people get in to sex work and I'm not even talking about people that are forced into it these are people that others may just see that well they chose it that word choice is very deceptive it's very deceptive and it's you know again when you put abuse and trauma, it's really not much of a choice. It's really, that that's really what they're doing to survive more than anything else. Right. And you bring up such great points around just so many different things. So, I mean, we could have an entire session talking about, you know, yeah. child sexual abuse and the impacts of early child trauma on how we develop and the boundaries that we create for ourselves and our ideas of what, if our body is our own or what other people are allowed to do to it. And so that really, it has a much longer effect than most people realize when it goes untreated. And so I think that, you know, that is evident by the RAIN statistics around child sexual abuse and the rise in mental health challenges for our kids. Across the board, we're just seeing the impact of sexual violence on our community 
whether it ever escalates to trafficking, as you pointed out, or if it was child sexual abuse and then they feel like they're making that, to your point, not choice, but to the rest of the world, if you're not looking at it from a trauma-informed perspective, that choice to engage in that is really challenging. And so, I mean, with that, what opportunities do you see for individuals to support trafficking survivors in our communities? Yeah. You know, I really, honestly, I, I think it's, you know, Brittany, what I would say in that is that, you know, again, it's, it, it's, it's a long journey. It's a long journey for, for women who are recovering from being trafficked, exploited. It's a long journey. And so, you know, whether it be helping people find employment that, that can actually support themselves, you know, or if it's the, the mentoring coming alongside and just spending time with a survivor and you know, bringing them into your home. I mean, so many, we, we have volunteers at Refuge who actually like once a month will bring the, the, the residents over to their house and they'll, they'll have games, they'll have a dinner. And we, we've had so many different graduates who look back at their time at Refuge and they go, one of our best experiences is when just some volunteers invited us into their homes and they weren't afraid that we were going to steal stuff. They, they, you know, they, they, treated us like we were normal. They made us feel like family and we played cards. We had dinner. We sat on their couches. And, and again, that just, that has meant so much to so many of the women that we've been able to, to work with. And so again, whether you financially give, whether you uh, volunteer, whether you help raise awareness, whether you're part of a, you know, just helping transport people to doctor's appointments or to AA meetings, there's so many different ways that you you can be a part, you know, by, you know, what you feel comfortable with and what you feel wired to do. And like I said, if, if nothing else, you know, financially giving, there's there's always opportunities for, for that as well, too, if you don't feel like face-to-face is what you are, are able to do at this time and stuff. But so, so many different ways, so, so many different ways to get involved. And it literally just starts with with uh, being available mm-hmm. and, and contacting a group like Refuge or whoever else may be in your community and saying, how can I help? What do you need right now? And um, God, God will open up doors for you to serve if you if you want to. Right. I love the part about family. I know that for a lot of our survivors, especially those who are trafficked by a family member, family is a big deal and they long to feel reconnected to a family unit. And so when they have an opportunity to feel like that part of their world that was stripped from them at such a young age is reclaimed at some level. It's just one of the parts of healing that really I think is transformative at some level for them that is hard to put into words. It's not like it's a medical bill or AA where you get these steps. It's, It's part of that feeling of I belong and that I have value, dignity, and worth that comes sometimes only from our family or those friends that are closest to us. And so I love that idea of mentorship and the importance of treating them like real human beings. Like at the end of the day, they're not looking to talk about their trauma 24-7. They want to be in community. They want to have relationships with all of us. So I think that wherever somebody is in their healing journey, we just have an opportunity to be a friend is really what it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. So what is one message that you would want survivors to hear? You know, if there's a, there's a survivor listening today, you know, one of the things I'd want you to know is that there, there is hope. There is hope. And I've, and I've seen it. I've seen it. And uh, I've seen the you know people who make the major changes, who, who get out of situations, who, 
you know, decide to, and, and I know getting out of a situation is when that's familiar, when it's like, even though this person's not good to me, you know, I don't know what else I would do or where else I would go. I would tell you there are safe places for you to go. I would tell you that, that, that God has a plan for your life and that, that you can, you still can pursue the dreams that you once had in your heart. And I always tell people that nobody, nobody's ever grown up wanting to be a sex worker. You know, nobody's ever dreamed of that. Life happens, situations happen. And so, you know, again, if you want to, you know, be a school teacher, if you want to, you know, start a business, if you want to, you know, be a therapist, all of those kind of things are available. All those kind of things are available. And, and, you know, again, you, you have, you have so many things that you have learned and skills that can still be applied no matter how old you are or where you're at. There, there are people who have no alternative agenda other than to love you, to care about you. And that I, I really do believe that, that, you know, that God has, has, has been with you in, in the midst of some very, very dark situations. God has been with you and helped you. And, and again, there's, there is opportunities for you to pursue the things you want to pursue. There absolutely are. And I think that, you know, so much of that, though, comes from community members, as we say, being on watch to spot report and prevent trafficking, because there are scenarios where they just don't know those resources are available. Survivors, they don't they don't have time on their phone sitting there figuring out what is the closest shelter to me. So sometimes you can help be that intersection point with a survivor and offer them an opportunity to exit a really hard situation and I think that each of us has the ability to empower ourselves to just be on watch for vulnerable individuals in our community and know how to respond in those situations. Yeah and and Brittany you're exactly right I mean many of the people who fill out the application to come into refuge they learned about refuge for women as a result of somebody telling them about it a lot of times uh, somebody building that bridge because like you said, I mean, they're, they're, they're probably not aware of what opportunities are out there. They just know they need to get out of the situation they're in. And again, are probably maybe overwhelmed with where do, where do I go and who do I call and who can I trust? And so building that bridge and, and, and passing on resources is a, is a huge piece to somebody being able to, to begin a new chapter in their lives. Yeah. So on that, before we sign off, where can people find you? How can they get in touch with you? All of those great things. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, if they go to our website, refugeforwomen.org, you know, we we have the application there. If you know somebody that needs help, we have ways for you to get involved. You know, again, even even there, you can see all of our different locations that we're in. There may be one that's close to you. Again, we'd love for you to to connect locally, or you can connect with us at a national level. That That's totally fine as well. You can follow us on, on our social media. You know, just look up Refuge for Women, and we're on there. We're posting regularly just success stories and, and, you know, different things that are happening around the country. And so, you know, again, if this, if the restoration piece is near and dear to your heart and you want to be a part of getting in the trenches and coming alongside people, we, we have those opportunities available. We'd love to, to talk to you about ways that we can get you connected. Well, thank you, Ked. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for the incredible work that you and your team do every day on behalf of survivors. I mean, 30 applications a month is significant and you all are truly making a difference in the in so many people's lives and we just are thankful for the work that you're doing across the United States and just the ways that you leaned into God's calling and the ways that he's blessed that. 
Thank you, Brittany. Thanks for, for you and Christy and your partnership, your constant encouragement, and your just your friendship. We, we really appreciate it. Thanks for this opportunity to share a little bit more about what we're doing. We really appreciate it. Christ. Let me leave you with a quote from William Wilberforce, who once said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. Each of us has had a defining moment in our life where we're faced with the choice to either engage or look away. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast for future content about how you can make a difference in ending trafficking. Thank you for listening.